0: This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority, for Designated Investment Business, and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus, Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Thursday, 27th of October. With me today I have Helena Marston. Helena is CEO of the disruptive estate agent Purple Bricks. Purple Bricks is easily the most recognised online estate agency with a very strong brand recognition. Helena's star has shone brightly through recruitment, human resources and now Purple Bricks. Helena, welcome.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining me today. Can we start by walking through some of your background?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, sometimes I feel I was a bit of a late bloomer in terms of getting my career going. I left school with all the right intentions of going to university and started a degree at Warwick in English literature. And wasn't really sure it was for me and decided to take a bit of a career break. But career break, sorry, an educational break at that point. Um, And then um, had my son very young, I guess, by today's standards and found myself as a single parent which was all unexpected. And I think then I kind of realised very quickly that I needed to find a way to provide and you know, give my son the life that I wanted him to have. So I found myself in the recruitment world and started out headhunting in pharmaceuticals, which I had a natural talent for doing. I think the competitiveness in me um, certainly helped. And I think through that, I also became quite interested in kind of human behaviour and how who we are and how we show up in the workplace. And from that started to build out my understanding and interest in the talent side and the leadership side of people. So I think my career for me really took off when I was at Vodafone and I really wanted to be a HR business partner. I was working in the resourcing team. I didn't really know what they did to be honest. I just thought it looked like a really great job and I wanted one. So (laughs) set my sights on that and I met a one of the directors at Vodafone, Richard Peers, who was instrumental in backing me and supporting me and gave me my HRBP role that I wanted, which saw me business partnering a really exciting part of the Vodafone business, which was commercial marketing and innovation. Um, and it was an international job as well. So I was looking after America, parts of Asia and Europe. So getting to travel as well and you know, work with different cultures, I absolutely loved it. And I did incredibly well. Um, and my career really did take off. I learned so much. From there, I then decided um, I was getting married and I always thought that I worked to provide for my son. Um, So when I got married and didn't need to work, it felt selfish almost to continue working and traveling the way I was. Um, So I took a year out and very quickly we realized that actually I thrived off work and succeeding and achieving my personal goals. So that year actually was really important and instrumental, I think, in shaping how I show up as a leader today. because. Once I realized that it was something much bigger for me personally beyond providing, I kind of became a little bit more ballsy in how I showed up um, and pushing businesses for what I wanted. Um, I got a job then at Jaguar Land Rover um, as head of HR. And that was a huge culture shock, I guess, coming out of somewhere like Vodafone, which I always you know, viewed as very innovative and forward thinking into Jaguar Land Rover, which is steep in tradition and history um, and not very diverse at that time when I was there. So, it was a culture shock <laughs> for me, and also I think if you asked the um, board exec I partnered there, he would say it was a culture shock for him too. I think he thought I was a little pocket rocket. I think I drove him mad at the time with all of these things that I wanted to do around. You know, it's not just about you know all of the people's qualifications and years of history they have in engineering. We need to look at leaders' potential and how they show up and human behavior and things. And you know, that was a different conversation. Um, But I think that for me, it really forced me to think about different influencing skills. So how do you take something that has succeeded, in a certain way for a long period of time and open their mind to be curious about a different possibility and a different way of doing things and so it was very challenging for me and i think <laughs> probably challenging for some of the people i worked with at jaguar land rover but i loved it and you know i still catch up with that leadership team and um, regularly it's one of the only teams actually that i still am in touch with throughout my career so that was a great experience. Um, we then moved to the Middle East as a family, um, and I found myself living in Kuwait, which was, you know, my husband had moved there for his work, and we wanted to stay, you know, as a family unit. So I moved out there and was very anxious to get myself a job. It's not so easy to get a job in the Middle yeah. East as a, as a woman and an expat. And also, I wanted, you know, a senior job similar to what I've been doing before. So. After many months of searching, meeting lots of people, a role did come up and it was chief HR officer for an oil and gas company. So I'd never worked in oil and gas before. And I actually will come on in a little bit to my thoughts around Mm -hmm. having industry expertise, because I know it's a hot topic in relation to the leadership at Purple Bricks. But there was an opportunity in oil and gas and it was um, an interview with the CEO there, a formidable lady called Sarah Akbar who's well known in the Middle East um, and quite a formidable figure, I think, you know, she was one of the people that mobilised all of, you know, the fire engines and people to out the fires when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait during the war. And she um, has such a presence about her. She set up an independent oil and gas company. And I always remember having an interview with her. And one of the last questions she asked me was, do I cry? Which I thought was quite an interesting question.
0: Um, What what was the answer out of interest?
1: Well, I, well, I had to ask her, what did she mean? Like, at uh, work, personally? I'm actually really not a crier. She said no at work. And I was like, well, no, absolutely not. And it really like stuck with me as an odd question. I didn't have the opportunity to ask her why she asked. Um, but once they started the job, I understood, you know, she's a tough cookie and not everybody could handle that. And when you think about her background and what she had been trying to achieve in the in her country you know you can see why as a woman working she needed to have that steeliness about her and um, so that was an amazing role i think people often look at my CV and just think oh she just did HR but you know people don't really understand HR um, so much today it's so much more than kind of the payroll and employee engagement issues which is not really an area of HR I've ever specialized in I like looking at the organisation and understanding how human capital interacts with process and systems and how that comes together to realise organisation objectives. Um, One of the pieces of work I did out in Kuwait was looking at all of these different countries where our assets were. So they were in Yemen, Iraq, Egypt, Oman, Kuwait, how we could create synergies. Um, you know, it was a business that had acquired lots of assets quite quickly, um, and that role for me was, you know, my first exec role. I was thirty-four, um, so never kind of interacted with a board before. Like I was suddenly finding the opportunities for me to do. I spent a lot of time in Iraq as well, um, so I would be traveling out there weekly, weekly, staying there for two, three, four days at a time. And as a as a young woman, that was, I think, one of those things you kind of look back and you think, oh. I've can't really believe I did that, but I did it and I loved it and it was challenging. It was scary at times, um, but I affected a lot of change in that business. Um, You know, you have to work with government officials out there to talk about how you're going to train local people so you can pass off knowledge and build skills and capability in the local communities, which I loved. Um, And it was an interesting business in terms of what it was trying to do. It had tried to, to IPO a few times and not been successful. Um, and then I got the opportunity to be part of the corporate sale when we sold it to United Energy Group, which is in itself a huge learning experience. Um, that th- role for me was, I guess, a game changer mm-hmm. in confidence. I think people think and it is difficult being a, a female out there and navigating those environments, but I actually didn't find being a female the issue, um, but it gave me a lot of confidence. So coming back to the UK then, I got a role at Virgin Media, but it really wasn't what I wanted. Um, I actually really wanted to go into private equity and do more kind of around restructuring, breaking things apart, rebuilding them, and, you know, things like that. But Purple Mm -hmm. Bricks got in touch. And, yeah, now I'm here. So, joined Purple Bricks as Chief People Officer and drove a lot of kind of the bigger initiatives that we've seen play out at Purple Bricks the last couple of years, um, which was largely the decision to go employed. So one of the key questions I kept being asked when I joined was, how can you accelerate performance in the field? And it didn't matter whether we were trying to answer the question as to hiring better people with better capabilities, better training, development, utilisation of our technology, consistent customer experience. And the only way really to achieve that was to go employed. So and, and I histori- kicked up that piece of work.
0: And historically, your agents have been self-employed, haven't they?
1: Yeah, that's correct. So. Th- When Purple Bricks founded, it was very much offering quite a unique model to the industry around self-employed agents with the power of this great brand behind it. And then also kind of this technology that agents could utilise and customers could utilise. We felt at the period of time when I joined, we weren't seeing a consistent customer experience being deployed across the field and we weren't seeing the utilisation of that technology. And they were some of the key drivers that influenced our decision to go ahead and go employed. So I led that project. Um, as well as many other projects around talent, learning, capability, and organization design, um, and then became Chief Operating Officer in October last year and CEO in April of this year. So, yeah, quite a lot that's happened in the last couple of years that's all been really exciting.
0: And then, so what attracted you to, to Purple Bricks?
1: Well, that's an interesting question because I, <laughs> the headhunter actually called me a couple of times and I kept saying no. I think if I'm honest, I wasn't really attracted to the brand at the time, um, partly because I misunderstood it. Right. So I didn't really understand what Purple Bricks was, which is interesting. And that is a huge opportunity for us to overcome because I still am not convinced that we've mastered that. So and originally I declined to interview, I think, two or three times. And the last time she called me, she said, look, everyone I speak to keeps giving me your name when I describe the challenge please can you just go and meet them and see what you think? So I did and I met the previous CEO and I also had an interview with Paul Pinder and really hit it off with him. Um, Paul's your chairman,
0: isn't he?
1: That's correct, yeah. I felt there was a real synergy there in terms of drive um, and ambition and I I really like that. I think who you work for and who you work with is really important. Um, So I took the role and yeah, then we went straight into a lockdown. So um started the role remotely like many people. And now I'm two and a half years into Purple Brick. So it's gone really quickly.
0: And and as you expected or a lot a lot more for you to do?
1: I'm not sure. As I expected, I don't tend to have expectations in that way. I kind of walk into things having a sense of what might be, but I'm pretty adaptable and can pivot myself quite quickly. Um, and I enjoy navigating ambiguity and actually get my energy from that. So the fact that Purple Bricks um, has quite a lot of change going on. And because, you know, let's be honest, it's quite a turnaround that I need to achieve this year that actually excites me. I don't think I would and I never actually really have been in a business which is just keep the wheels on the bus going. Don't disrupt it, Helena. Don't look for change. Um, And I would be a disaster in a business like that anyway. So I think I thrive on what is a challenge and yeah, there's been a lot going on. There's been a lot of change as well in terms of leadership at Purple Bricks. Um, so just navigating all of that.
0: And then how do, you, how do you scope the culture to come with
1: you on that change? So how do I shape the culture at Purple Bricks? Um, so I think the reality is the leader at the top really defines what the culture of that business needs to be. And it's about having a real sense of clarity over what you want that to be. And then ensuring you create alignment with your executive leadership team. And, you know, we should co-create that ideally together. And I think that the culture should be the instrument and the tool that enables the business to succeed. So right now, our culture is very much focused on Having the absolute belief in the ambition of what it is we're here to do and having really resilient, capable people that feel supported and feel part of the journey to turn this around and having absolute clarity on what that looks like in terms of here's the three or four key things that we just need to focus on. And I would say that since I took over at Purple Bricks, I have brought together the top 30 leaders in our business and given them the lay of the land. And I've been very clear that whilst you're all really capable, great individuals, I do understand that not everyone is built for what I'm asking you for. And I think that that's important because you never want to bend somebody out of shape or break them because you're asking them to perform in a way that doesn't naturally sit with them. And not everybody thrives off transformation, Mm change, change, and um, that takes a, a special type of leader, right? So I think just being really clear about that upfront and making sure that that's represented in terms of how my team show up so it filters down.
0: That makes sense. And can you sort of highlight the, the market positioning of, of Purple Bricks?
1: So I think Purple Bricks entered into this market as um, well, an absolute disruptor, utilising technology in a way that other people in the industry weren't at the time. And I think they came in with a low fixed fee to give consumers a more affordable way to sell their homes. And we had a, back then, it was a very clear identity. And I think over the years, we've lost a sense of that, particularly the last couple of years where we were trying to potentially less disruptive. Um, I know that the high street didn't like it when Purple Bricks came to the market with a low fixed fee. Some people would say it forced them to bring down their commission fees. And I think that there was a period of time where we tried to be everything to everyone and cosy up to the high street and say, hey, we're just like you, we just sell homes and you know, shy away from talking about the fact that we save homeowners in this country millions of pounds a year on commission. And I believe that that is absolutely the essence of what we do. Is that enough to sustain us for the future? That's a great question, certainly one that I'm looking at. But I think right now our unique proposition is that low fixed fee and the fact we save money. So we have to shout about it and we have to celebrate it. And we have to get back in front of the customers and remind them they don't need to waste money on commission. So we have gone back out with new campaigns that talk about that in a way that customers are, able to then understand they have a choice before they mindlessly just walk into the high street like they might have done before.
0: And and I guess also within this cost of living crisis, every penny counts,
1: doesn't it? Well, exactly. Our proposition has never been more relevant. When there is the cost of living at the forefront of people's minds, we need to remind them there is a more cost effective way to, to sell their home. The market we just exited where we saw house prices going up, you know crazy house price increases we should have then been reminding customers hey guess what we let you keep all of that additional value in your home because we're a low fixed fee and we missed that opportunity i don't want to miss the opportunity in this market to remind people of the cost savings and that's what i like about our proposition right it's relevant in any type of market if we communicate it well to the customers
0: And then, obviously, I would say you're well positioned for for some form of of downturn or higher interest rate environment or possibly fewer instructions. Is that right?
1: Yes. So obviously there is uncertainty in the market and we don't know what's going to come in the the next budget. I think that's going to come out in November. What we are now as a business capable of doing that perhaps historically we weren't able to do as easily is adjust ourselves in terms of our size and shape to respond to changes in the external market. And that ensures that we can run a better cost base for the business by adapting ourselves when the market changes also i've really focused on diversifying our revenue streams so that we can move away from solely relying on a buoyant sales market and um, so launching our mortgage business this year and thinking about how we can grow our lettings business at pace as well
0: and how have you seen the traction in intervi- oh, ancillary ancillary services and also your lettings
1: so We've recently seen over the course of this year, we obviously offer the base package and then we've got our pro package, which comes with Matterport torts and assisted viewings. A lot of customers now are taking that, so our RP has gone up considerably. In terms of our mortgage business, I talked at our um, end of year results that we're going to become an appointed representative for mortgages, and that all is continuing. In fact, we're looking to launch that ahead of plan. And um, so having a mortgage business that where we are an appointed representative will give us considerably more revenue per mortgage referral than historically we received.
0: Can you walk me through uh, a customer experience and the use of technology at Purple Bricks?
1: Yeah, so technology is obviously a huge part of of our business model and um, whether that is kind of the back-end technology and our ability to utilize the data that comes through that to understand customers better and the market better or whether that's the technology that we're using with customers to enable them to sell their homes and that can literally be from the point of the customer journey they download the app and the ability that gives them to have visibility throughout the process and control the process or whether that's how we sell our proposition in the living room by utilizing all of our digital explainers and bringing it all to life for the customer one of my favourite pieces of content on YouTube um, is, is an advert and basically it shows a woman in the kitchen cooking her dinner and she gets a ping on the app and it's asking her whether or not she wants to accept a viewing and then you've got the father playing football with the kids and it's another question and I love that advert because I think it really explains what our app does and that advert came actually from one of the guys in digital that we have recruited, had just sold his home through Purple Bricks and he used his experience of how the app had enabled him to communicate with the buyer and the seller in real time, whether that's saying, Oh, are you taking the washing machine with you? Or oh, okay, fine, I need to order one. Could you just quickly measure for me the space of the washing machine so I can order the right size? And I think that it really brings to life how great it is that you have this real-time communication between buyer and seller, and also the estate agent as well can see all of that communication and help and support. And I think that the app is. But ever evolving and as we start to get into the, more, the side of the mortgage business more, how we can integrate that in with push notifications to customers, to remind them to submit documents, etc. So our technology, um, I think we need to be much better at explaining as benefits to customers because people don't always understand. Our tech also allow, allows you, if you want to, if you're really confident about the price you want to sell your home at, then you can go on and self-instruct as well. So you don't need to wait then for someone to come to your home and support you. I think the other thing that's misunderstood about Purple Breaks is that people think it is just all online. They don't seem to realise sometimes that we have really skilled, qualified estate agents in the field and that can support you through the journey as much or as little as you want.
0: So will those agents do viewings for you if you don't feel comfortable to, to do the viewings?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So our agents can support you throughout the journey. We offer a full service just like the high street. It's just a fraction of the cost. So our agents will hold open houses. They'll do all your viewings for you. They'll support you right through the point of receiving an offer to completion. We offer exactly the same in terms of support as the high street. It's just all complemented by technology and also the option if you want to self-serve more that you can.
0: And then... What happens to the market on a more general basis for sort of higher interest rates? I mean, are there fewer instructions or what's the you know, what's your what do you talk about at the board, the board around the board table?
1: Lots of things. And <laughs> um, so I think right now it's interesting because. You know, we had Liz Trust come in and she did her mini budget, then she retracted on some of the elements of that. And now we're waiting for Rishi to tell us what he wants to do next. So I think if I was a customer, I would be pretty confused and uncertain right now as to what's the right thing for me to do with regards to probably the biggest asset that I own. So I think in terms of a read on the market, in terms of volumes coming through to us at the moment, we haven't seen a significant drop Potentially that could happen, but I think it's hard to predict anything until we know what's coming next. And I think from a customer perspective, the quicker we can get certainty on that and stability and consistency in what's happening externally, we will then be able to take a better read and then adjust ourselves internally to accommodate that. And it has all been up in the air for a while. And quite rightly, I think some customers are nervous to make a big decision when things feel uncertain.
0: But I guess, again, as i sort of mentioned before, your cost reduction should give you some motor barrier and ultimately should be very attractive.
1: The cost reduction of our fee, sorry. Correct, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, if a customer is looking to move home, it makes us the most appealing option because of the amount of money we will save people. I was looking at data a few months ago when we were starting work on our new customer segmentation approach, and we saw that there was a huge volume of properties that had come to the market in a three month period that sold in under 16 days. And those customers spent over 800 million in commission. If they'd all used purple bricks, we would have saved them over 600 million in commission. Yeah and good homes near to good schools and good travel links sell themselves so they should be using purple bricks and they're not so we need to understand how we reach those customers better and explain our model to them so we can entice them over to purple bricks
0: that's very loud and clear Um, and then you've been there for two and a half years you've obviously achieved an awful lot already what's the vision over the next five years for, for purple bricks
1: so my number one priority this year had to be to stop the cash burn and stabilize the business. And I think our plan is very clear to do that. That looks at growing instructions, diversifying revenue, raising standards, and the cost-cutting activities that we've done. And um, I think we do those four things well. What we'll do is have a business that is profitable and has solid foundations for future growth. And I think the reality is the possibilities are endless for Purple Bricks. We have such a strong brand. Is well over 90% awareness, that's held pretty consistently over the years. The question for us is what would we do next? We have to get the lettings business expedited in its growth. We've got to get mortgages up and running. We're doing really well with conveyancing, but there's more we can do. And obviously, you've got the sales side, which we need to get back on track and increase market share once again. Once you've got those four things locked down, where we go next is really, really exciting and interesting. And we have kicked off a piece of work to start thinking about our strategy for the next three to five years. Um, and I hope to have clarity on what that looks like as we come into the next calendar year. So I think I don't want to give away anything because mm-hmm. nothing, nothing is certain, um, but I think in t- we're not short of opportunities, right? That's what I'd say. We're definitely not short of opportunities. We still are leading the way in terms of disrupting the industry. Obviously, we've seen other players come to the market, such as Strike, who are also trying to disrupt in this space. Um, which is great, right? Because we need more people to show customers there's a different alternative to the high street. So I'm not worried about the lights of Strike or Yopa playing in the same space. I think it's great, as long as they're not stealing market share of us and they're taking it off the high street. But the more kind of growth we get in the online hybrid space, the more confidence that will give other customers to move over. And that's really important, I think.
0: That makes a lot of sense. You're quite right. You, you, you... there's room for a number of disruptors eating the lunch of the existing incumbents yeah Uh, and that's really the market to go after isn't it
1: absolutely yeah i think 90 percent of people are still using the high streets between ourselves and the other players in this space we've got a lot of work to do but there's also a lot of opportunity there for all of us
0: no it's very exciting uh, as my regular listeners know, I tend to close with with three questions. I'll take oh. one at a time, if that's okay. Uh, your greatest inspirational mentor?
1: I always find this question a difficult, one, a difficult one to answer. And I know lots of CEOs come out with big names that are super recognizable. But, and whilst there's lots of amazing, famous people out there that I, I have admiration for, I'm probably tend to, I love ordinary people that do extraordinary things. Um, I am just a very normal person, and I think that's probably why I aspire to look at those people for inspiration. And um, I remember years ago, I, I can't remember how long it was, probably 10 years ago, I happened to read a book Um called Beauty Shop in Kabul, written by a lady called Deborah Rodriguez. And she was um, a woman that just left a serious domestic violence relationship in America. And she'd gone out to do some charity work in Afghanistan. And when she was there, she saw this opportunity to train um, local Afghan women and give them independence by giving them an income. And she set up something called Beauty Shop in Kabul, and that's her book name. And I love that story because it was just about, you know, this woman who had been through some trauma, but then used the energy from that to create a safe haven for women in Afghanistan and also give them the tools and the seeds to start to build a future and have their own independence. And I don't know, I really like that. And I think that I always believe that when bad things happen to us, you've got three options and you can let it define you, destroy you, or you can let it strengthen you and you can take that strength and give that to other people. And I think that story that she tells really encapsulates all of that. So That's the kind of things that I look to um, in terms of inspiration. I just find them really relatable. And I think as well, when you're a leader of a business and you're trying to inspire people in your organization, they want something that feels more attainable. And talking Mm -hmm. about ordinary people that do extraordinary things, I think, really gives people confidence and hope that their aspirations can come true as well. So that's kind of the areas that I look to for that stuff.
0: And then is that the book that, that inspired you or do you have a, another book that you'd like to talk about?
1: Well, it's funny. I love reading. And what I've noticed the last two or three years is I can't enjoy reading fiction when I'm at home because I feel so guilty. I should be reading a business book or a business paper. And um, so I tend to read lots of novels on holiday. That helps me switch off. But I always have to read one a day. I'm very competitive with myself.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, a, I've read a, lots a of whole novels. novel in a day.
1: Yes, every time on a holiday, and I won't go to sleep until it's finished, which drives my husband insane because I'll stay up reading all night. So
0: ho- hopefully you haven't started with Middlemarch then.
1: No, <laughs> it's a bit of a long burn. No, <laughs> but yeah, I do. I love reading psychological thrillers and stuff like that. Um, that's how I switch off when I'm on holiday. Um, but yeah, don't do that at home as much anymore. I mean, work is my hobby right now.
0: <laughs> no, that makes sense. But but I, I guess um. Yeah, I guess, a book that has inspired you? Is there, is there one that you would pin down?
1: So obviously there's all the, you know, the art of war. I read a book about three years ago as well. I love books about talent and leadership. I read a great book, Executive Intelligence. I really like that because I think it put quite um, a simplistic lens on leadership and what it takes to be a leader. So they're kind of my top picks that I always tell people in my team to go away and read as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah i think there's always new stuff coming I, with business books as well i tend to dip in and as mm-hmm. soon as i take yeah. a nugget or two yeah. i'll park it go away and do something with what i've learned and then go yeah. back to it again or pick something else up so
0: i mean it's the the whole idea of small wins isn't it you know life is about yeah. making small changes and you're right to swallow a, a business book in one go is quite hard but actually to read it implement it i think is quite a quite a logical way of looking at it really yeah and then What piece of advice would you give to a young person starting out on their career to follow in your footsteps?
1: Gosh, a big question. Well, firstly, I think, you know, I have huge admiration for any young person navigating life in the world we live in today, because I think it's certainly a lot more challenging than when I was younger. Um, I think, you know, There's so much pressure on people sometimes to have the right education or have to done the right grad programme, worked at the right companies. And while some of that stuff is important and can help, I think that I've always interviewed people and look for people that have potential um, and have the hunger and the desire, the drive, the curiosity. And I always look for people like that. So if you don't fall into the mold of having this amazing academic background, don't discount yourself. I think it's so important to show up as your authentic self. And I think today, and I certainly have experienced this, and particularly as a woman in in business as well, is you need to show up and be your authentic self, to be unapologetic about who you are. So many times in my career, and sadly, mostly from other women, I have felt, you know, you get comments like, oh, you're so intimidating. No, I'm not. You're intimidated. That's on you, not me. And I learned, and it was literally a couple of years ago that I made my peace with this. So, you know, I'm definitely not the finished article, but I'm not here for other people's comfort. And I'm not going to be less or say less or be more quiet or shine less brightly to make everybody else in the room more comfortable. That's on you. And I'm just going to be here. I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to own my space. I'm going to be gracious about it. I'm going to treat people well. But I'm here and I'm me and I would say to any young person that's trying to navigate you know being successful in the work world or whether that's you know in their own career that they're setting up through their own business just be you be your authentic self and there is nothing more fulfilling and rewarding when you get to that point where you're like I am so comfortable with who I am and people say you know you oh you're very confident well guess what it's so easy to be confident when you're yourself If you're trying to be something for other people, it can be quite challenging to feel confident because that's a lot of effort. But I'm really comfortable with who I am. I think people need to embrace what's great about themselves and shout about it and own the things that aren't their natural strengths and decide which ones they're bothered about trying to develop and accepting the ones (laughs) that you're not going to change. So that would be my advice. I think... There is no perfect leader. There is no cookie cutter for it. And I think that the best leaders I've worked with and I hope that I'm like this are the ones that are authentically and unapolog- unapologetically themselves. So that would be my advice.
0: <laughs> very, very sound advice, I have to say. Uh, how can listeners get in touch with you if they wanted to contact you?
1: Sure. So they can just reach out directly to, on our Purple Bricks website. There's a link and you can contact us through that or through Equatorial as well.
0: Perfect. Helena, thank you very much today. It's been very enjoyable. Thank you for your time.
1: You're very welcome.
0: Thanks for listening to A Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.